This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, hey, welcome back to Ospol Snackpod, the weekly podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We are also the official podcast of the Ospol Shitposting Facebook group, which you can go to to check out shitposting about Ospol. My name is Zach Snack, and with me, as always, is friend, confidant, and member of my inner sanctum. Hey, it's me, it's noon. Uh, very happy to be back with you, Zach, recording bright and early. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling super crispy mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, ready to talk about some news. Um, <laughs> but uh, before we dive in, just want to send a big thank you to uh, some new patrons that signed up this week. Uh, Tess, Preet, and Hill, thank woo, you woo, so woo, much. Woo, woo. We, we really appreciate your support. You're helping us do cool stuff like published transcripts of the show, which you can find on our website, uh, which is paid for also by Patreon money. Thank you very much. Also, I just wanted to up the top here say we haven't gotten a new review on Apple Podcasts mm. for a minute, a couple of weeks now. And if you either don't want to or can't support us financially, but you like what but- we do, a review on Apple Podcasts is a really helpful thing for us. Helps people find the show, boosts our ratings. You know, it, it's generally, it's helpful for us. So we'd really appreciate it. If you want to give us one of those, normally we tell people to do that at the end of the show, but um, I thought I'd do it up top this week just to shake it up, see if we get any bites. Hell yeah. All right. Well, uh, big news week as usual. Noon, do you want to jump in? You've got a quick mini entree, a, a little amuse-bouche before I get into our proper uh, entree. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure if this is an amuse-bouche so much as like a... Uh, Sad bush, or you know, um, it's a it's a dry a misery cracker before <laughs> before the spring roll. Yeah, yeah. go on. Uh, which is basically just that there are big bushfires raging um, in Western Australia around Perth, uh, which is obviously horrible and sad, um, destroying land and property and endangering people. Um, there's not really like. A big news story about it. It's just a sad natural disaster caused or exacerbated by climate change. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to mention it because I don't know, I guess we're aware that we're a very East Coast centric show and, um, you know, that this is a really huge fucked up thing that's happening to people on the other side of the country. And we just wanted to mention that. And um, yeah, just uh, hope all of our listeners over in that part of the world are safe and um, look after yourselves and Get out of there. Yeah, thanks for that, Noon. And uh, now for our like proper little entree story here, I wanted to talk a little bit about the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So um, in May of last year, uh, the federal court unanimously ruled in favor of uh, an anonymous woman with multiple sclerosis who wanted to use NDIS funds to hire a sex worker. 
Uh, and yeah, so they were all they were like, yep, that's a totally legitimate use of NDIS funds. That's totally cool. This has been this was something that the NDIA, the National Disability Insurance uh, Association, agency, no, agency, they're the ones who run um, the NDIS. Yeah, exactly. They'd been trying to stop her from uh, spending that mo- uh, th- that money on a sex worker. Uh, and this week, someone had something to say about it, and mm-hmm. that somebody was Stuart Robert, who is minister for the NDIS. And avid surfer of the internet. Uh, and uh, author think- of In the Footsteps of Jesus, uh, a very bad book about the Bible. Yeah. I think that uh, we should, like, any time that he comes up, everybody should be reminded that he tried to charge taxpayers $38,000 for his internet bill. Which should be particularly uh, to relevant to this story. It is. And uh, <laughs> we'll come back to that. So he did an interview with uh, right-wing shock jock Ray Hadley on talkback station 2GB earlier this week. Uh, And he opened with the line, I never thought I'd be talking to you about... And then he used a slur for sex workers that I'm going to choose to not repeat here Uh because who needs to do that? that. But yeah, you know, you could probably fill in the blanks there. Um, And then started to talk about how he wanted to try and legislate to exclude sexual services and products from the NDIS. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, he's like coming in with the moral panic approach. Like, oh my God, people are using disability support money to hire sex workers. But of course, he used the slur, uh, not the term sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's important to note here that he's also lumping in sex therapy with sex work. Sure. Sex therapy d- being different in that it's often non-contact or I think almost always non-contact and you know covers a massive variety of... Uh, like services, totally. Um, and uh, I've got a. Uh, I watched a little interview with um, the president of uh, People with Disability Australia, whose name is Sam Connor. Um, she did an interview on the drum, which was really good about this, and I recommend that people check it out. Um, we'll try and pop a link for that in our show notes. She notes that sex therapy covers like a whole bunch of stuff, um, and noting that uh, people with disabilities are often uh, liable to be exposed to sexual abuse mm. and trauma. Um, and so, you know, often will need therapy in the wake of that. People needing to reconnect with their body after acquiring disabilities. Mm-hmm. Sperm extraction for people who have been paralyzed. Like, just an absolutely massive array of different of course, things yeah, that yeah. don't all, you know, <laughs> that It's are not quite all just like from... sex work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which, to be clear, is an extremely legitimate use of, of funds. Yeah, yeah, money. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also this is going to cover sex aids and sex toys as sure. well. So people sure. aren't even going to be allowed to like use money to improve their own personal sexual relationship with their own bodies. Mm-hmm. It's just fucking gross. Like stop trying to control yeah. the lives of disabled people. What the fuck are you doing? Anyway, so the way that funds are kind of allocated under the NDIS revolves around this term, reasonable and necessary. Uh-huh. If you want to get something under the NDIS, it has to be considered reasonable and necessary. And that is what is reasonable and necessary is currently decided by the National Disability Insurance Agency, the NDIA. Um, And this is under the NDIS Act, which I think is from 2013. Uh, And basically, it's currently pretty general. Um, Like that definition is left pretty general in the legislation. Uh, And basically, it just says, you know, it needs to assist people with stuff that they need and want that is related to their disability. Yep. Um, in other words, like not stuff that is related to day-to-day living costs. So, so to speak, 
Yeah, so the way so I, I'm an NDIS recipient, and the way I had it uh, explained to me was that NDIS will only pay for things that are extra costs because of my disability, right? So um, one of uh, uh, they use the word normal a lot, which is fucked. Yeah. But like, um, yeah. So you know, here the heavy quotation marks that I'm using here, but. Um, they won't pay for things that a normal person living a normal life would also have to pay for. So, for example, a phone. I have a budget for um, electronic devices, uh, but I can't spend it on a phone because uh, everyone has to buy a phone whether you've got a disability or not. Um, uh, or meals, for example. Uh, NDIS won't pay for the ingredients because everyone has to pay for the food that they eat. But they will pay for someone to prepare it package it and deliver it for me because that's something that my disability gets in the way of me doing so yeah it's pretty weird and a bit hard to like know before you ask if you can spend money on something yeah so it's clearly a pretty nebulous definition uh and clearly there's flexibility there and there are things that the ndia doesn't want to fund that technically under the legislation they should uh, right, as right. In this example but yeah the, the legislation is just like you know, it has to be effective, good value for money, and that it's reasonable for like carers or families or communities to provide for someone. There's no sort of like things that are explicitly excluded under it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that a $38,000 internet bill probably wouldn't make the cut. No, that's for true. A reasonable yeah. and necessary expense. Yeah. Um, so in this interview that he gave, Stuart Roberts said that the legislation that he's wanting to bring in will, quote, Seek to say, give some boundaries, provide some sort of guidance in terms of what is reasonable and necessary. And this is what disability advocates are really worried about, that this is a cover for giving the minister control, not just over whether sexual services will be covered under the NDIS, but give him much more power to decide what the NDIS will be allowed to provide for people. Um, And I've got a quote here from uh, Jordan Steele-John, the Green Senator, who uh, I think sums it up pretty well. It's the very antithesis of the scheme for the minister to have the power to veto, based on his own moral beliefs, Mm. the kind of services and supports a disabled person might need in their plan. Totally. Um, Yeah, which I think is... Like, you can't discount Stuart Roberts' own, like, personal moral outrage about this. About sex But obviously... Yeah, exactly. And this is tied up, obviously, you know, like anti-sex work attitudes are deeply misogynist at their core, they're anti-worker at their core, so obviously it makes a lot of sense for a liberal MP to hold this position. Mm -hmm. But also there's like a deep ableism at the root of this as well in terms of like what qualifies as something that a person needs Mm. to survive. Mm. And sex is somebody, sex is somebody, sex is something that massively improves quality of life Mm. for a lot of people Mm. but like you know it's almost like it's put in this box of oh no that's a nice to have that's a that's a pleasure you know this might be good for your physical and emotional and psychological well-being but you don't technically need it to just like keep the machine of your body running for one more day yeah and there's something deeply fucked about that idea i think there's also uh like a wide social disgust with sexuality of people with disabilities or physical disabilities mm. um mm. that that people get you know grossed out or whatever about imagining 
people with certain types of bodies having sex, which uh, goes along with that, uh, you know, the the phobia, the conservative anti-sex work stuff, and the mm. obviously, as I mentioned before, Stuart Rob is like a, a extreme Christian guy, and like this is very in line with that. That he's like, oh no, we can't spend government money on sex, and especially not for disabled people. I feel like there's a whole lot of like, yeah, cultural disgust there that, um, at, at both ends of this, both the consumer and the service provider, right? That they they're disgusted yeah, by disabled exactly. people and by sex workers, and so this is the worst possible thing that they could they could fund possibly from imagine their point of view. Government, yeah, mo- yeah. government money being spent on yeah, someone on like enjoying their money. life. Right, yeah, in a way that they don't approve of. It yeah. doesn't align with their very narrow set of social values. But, I mean, I think there's also an interesting and potentially longer conversation to be had at another, at another time and maybe with somebody who knows more about this than, Us, than yeah. I do. Um, but that there's a very interesting intersection here in terms of, like, the way that we conceptualize sex work mm. and, like, yeah, I mean, I guess what I was kind of talking about it before is it being, like, actually for a lot of people necessary for their well-being um and so yeah. thinking about it as not as this like degrading objectifying exchange necessarily but something that can be very meaningful and fulfilling and beautiful and yeah yeah, yeah. D- depending on you know what the situation is mm. anyway um uh so yeah i mean look Essentially, it seems like Robert is using this kind of trying to whip up this moral outrage in order to give himself uh, the social license to create this backdoor legislation, which is going to give him even more control over what the NDIS does in general. So we, I think everybody should be worried about that and Mm. keep an eye on that. And definitely we'll be following that story as it develops. Why don't we roll right into our Corona story? Hey, man, I've got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. And uh, this is a bit of a dry story, which, listeners, you will immediately realise after you hear the first three words of it. So here we go. Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe uh, <laughs> made a speech to the National Press Club this week where he you know, gave an update about the state of the economy. Uh, so, listeners, probably many of you know, but probably not all... Um, the Reserve Bank is basically the government's independent money authority. Um, and so, yeah, basically what he said was the economy is going really well, considering that we've just had a global pandemic. Um, and the the particular number that um, people have been talking about is the unemployment figure, which has been way lower than even the Reserve Bank's like optimistic best case scenario forecasts. He also said, and seemingly just in passing, I haven't been able to find the full footage of the speech. So, listeners, if you know where to find uh, footage of press club speeches, hit me up. Uh, but, yeah, he said that the uh, pre-corona rate of job seeker, which, you know, used to be called New Start, of uh, $40 a day is not enough and created a, quote, fairness issue. Um, so, cool. You know, this is, like, basically the number Strong one... Strong language there. <laughs> yeah, fairness totally. Issue. A fairness wow. issue. Wow. Right. But like... Not being able to eat. It strikes it's me a as fairness. a bit of a fairness issue. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it really wasn't the point of the speech. He was. It was kind of like a in passing, he was mostly talking about interest rates and about unemployment. And it was like, by the way, uh, job seekers, not high enough. Um, and so everyone's favorite Craig Kelly in the making, Tim Wilson, used a parliamentary committee hearing to basically accuse Philip Lowe of like politicizing and going beyond his job description. 
Uh, and Which Philip- only ever seems to only ever happen when people say something that Tim Wilson doesn't like. Right. Quite yeah. happy with- <laughs> I mean, He's Tim Wilson quite- <laughs> sort of went beyond his job description uh, when he sort of semi-illegally fundraised a whole lot of money for his family business while doing parliamentary inquiries. So uh, That sounds pretty partisan of you, Noon. It's true. It's true. It's beyond my job description to point that out. <laughs> but uh, Philip Lowe, who's just obviously much more intelligent and less of a shitbag than Wilson, which, you know, not that I'm a huge Philip Lowe fan or anything, but he is definitely like, you it's know... It's a low bar to clear. <laughs> yeah, hey. exactly. Uh, 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 I didn't even get that until you said A, so it's lucky that you did. Okay. Um, but yeah, he, he went into this committee hearing, like, knowing this was going to happen. He had notes prepared, and he basically said, like, <laughs> bro, you asked me all kinds of shit in this committee that's not in my job description. Uh, talking about job seekers at least as relevant to my job as that is. <laughs> um, so, you know, good on him, I guess. Uh, and as well as Tim Wilson having a pretty bad response, there were also some good responses. So why don't we play that next thing? Say what you will about Pauline. Cory Bernardi's right about this You know, one. you have to hand it to ISIS. I don't normally agree with Channel 7. Because this week, Barnaby Joyce, former leader of the Nationals, also called on the Prime Minister to raise JobSeeker, um, as did Nationals MP and Webster, and Liberal MP Russell Broadbent, who, boo, but, you know, broken clock. That's why we have this segment, you know. That's um, why we have it. So the Australian newspaper published an article with them talking about this, and, you know, it was mostly pretty good. Uh, Barnaby said... I would never be so bold as to say I could live on $715 a fortnight. If your rent is 250 a week, cheap rent is 300 to 400 a week. You won't get by on that. You have to be living with other people, uh, which is funny because it's still not enough when you're living with other people. But um, No. I also thought this was a good point to insert this tweet from uh, Joshua Badge. Yes. Joshua Badge. Uh, which I thought summed it up nicely. <laughs> yeah. It's nice for Barnaby Joyce to admit that he couldn't survive on JobSeeker, but it's a bit like calling rain wet. No one can make ends meet on <laughs> yeah. starvation rates. That's the whole point of the policy. Yeah, uh, totally. Often concise and uh, incisive commentary from Josh Badge. So, yeah, uh, hilariously, there was clearly not enough of this Australian article, uh, like the story to fill a full actual article in the Australian, because <laughs> yeah. the second half of it is just talking about people who have mentioned JobSeeker at some point in the last month. So, for example, uh, LNP <laughs> mem- uh, MP... Andrew Laming, who, of course, we all know from getting roasted. That video of him doing a whole bunch of chin-ups, chin-ups. in a puffy vest that, set to Ming and the Stallion. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we know Andrew Laming for. Uh, one of them is that he uh, chairs the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Employment, Education and Training. And according to the article, he, quote, calculated that people on JobSeeker were $9,150 better off than they otherwise would have been if the coronavirus supplement had not been introduced last year. And this is possibly the least news thing that I've ever read in a news article. Because, like, Andrew Laming calculated that job seekers had more money this year. Like, this is apparently what we're paying our politicians for, is, like, multiply $1,015.70 and then subtract a bit. Like, it's not even opinion. And, like, I'm sure he didn't do the calculation. No, No. there's no way he (laughs) typed those numbers into the Google search bar and hit enter. He probably got it from Treasury. Uh, yeah, anyway. a million percent he read that somewhere else, or at best had a staff, a staff to do it for him. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, and he was the- too busy um, <laughs> getting jacked, mashing lefties. <laughs> Listen to fresh 
verses. Uh, yeah, so they, they, this article also quotes New South Wales Liberal MP Jason Falinski, and they said, he said, the government should instead be looking at intum- income tax credits or a universal basic income. And then they quote him saying, we shouldn't increase job seeker. So I don't know if he said those other things or if right. they just like decided that what he meant was this other thing. Uh, but it's a weird and bad article. Rosie Lewis at the Australian wrote a weird and bad article. Uh, bad job. I mean, I guess those things like if you have no idea what you're talking about aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I don't like Job Seeker, but we should have UBI. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't seem like he said that. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I, I'm more than happy to um, believe you that this article in the Australian was bad, weird and bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, not not trying to devil's advocate stuff you here. on this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, why don't we move on? Bit of good news: gay conversion therapy has been banned in Victoria. Um, that's the practice of trying to say, change someone's sexuality or gender. Usually takes the form of psychological torture it's usually religious in nature and as you can imagine it's incredibly psychologically damaging yeah obviously yeah uh so the the act in queensland both passed legislation either restricting or banning gay conversion therapy last year um though in queensland it was only in medical contexts and advocates Mm -hmm. at the time said that the laws didn't go far enough because a lot of conversion therapy happens in informal contexts often uh you you know churches camps other religious contexts. Yep. Uh, but the Victorian legislation is much more comprehensive. Anyone found trying uh, uh, anyone found trying to suppress or change another person's sexuality or gender identity faces up to 10 years jail wow. or fines of, of almost 10 grand uh, if it can be proved beyond reasonable doubt that their actions caused serious injury. Cool. Um, so, yeah. That's so pretty bill, severe and wide. Yeah, it is. Um, and the bill passed... Uh, very soundly in the upper house, 27 votes to nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Liberals did in fact vote for the bill, but two pieces of shit crossed the floor to vote against, uh-huh. who, uh, including Bernie Finn, who I think is a dark horse contender for potentially the biggest shit stain in Australian state politics. Uh-huh. Um, he also runs the annual pro-life march, Walk for Life, uh, and is generally just a super reactionary, mm-hmm. moralizing Christian misogynist. Um and, you know, the debate happened and it, actually weirdly the, well, not potentially not weirdly, but the age article that I read about this gave a lot of airtime to the supposed like counter arguments yeah. to this bill, which really, you know, it's the same bullshit arguments like, oh, this is going to criminalize parents having conversations with their kids and yeah. Bernie Finn being like, this is going to make more kids trans. Oh no. Mm. Um yeah, there, you know. <laughs> there were also a bunch of uh, shitty amendments that were raised that all got voted down um, that basically were like, this is banned unless you're related to them or a priest. Uh, yeah. Uh, or things like that, which luckily none of them got through. So the bill like passed un- unchanged. But um, Yeah, because yeah. there's still a bunch of fucking awful homophobes in Australian Parliament, a bunch of our elective representatives... Mm-hmm want to continue torturing people like, w- yeah they want they want yeah. it to be legal to they continue to be legal to torture somebody into trying to change their sexuality or repress their sexuality uh but guess what homophobes you fucking failed on this one fuck you this is some good news yeah nice to see that win 
Uh, we've got some more good news in our First Nations story, um, but I am going to use the names of some uh, Aboriginal people who have died, so if you'd prefer not to hear that, you can skip ahead and we'll put time codes in the show notes as usual. So, yeah, uh, it's not going to be particularly graphic or anything, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this week the Victorian Lower House passed a bill to decriminalise public drunkenness. Um, and this came about as a result of activism uh, from the family of a Yoda Yoda woman, Tanya Day, who, deli- who died in police custody in 2017 after being arrested for being asleep on a train under public drunkenness laws. And, uh, you know, we've covered this story basically since our show started. This was one of the very first yeah. stories that we ever did. Um, and these laws have, and this activism leading to it have been um, just incredible. Uh, so, yeah, really yeah. big shout-outs to Tanya Day's family, who obviously shouldn't be in a position to need to do this, um, but that yeah. they, they were, and they did an amazing job. So congratulations and, um, you know, condolences as well. So uh, as a result of uh, Day's family... Um, an expert reference group, an ERG, was appointed by the government in August 2019, and they produced a report called the Seeing the Clear Light of Day report, um, which made 86 different recommendations that would basically replace the criminal approach to public drunkenness with a health-based approach. Um, mm-hmm. So that includes funding for sobering up services, uh, drug and alcohol counseling, and like inpatient um, uh, substance abuse mm-hmm. wards. Um and also sort of services that would take drunk people home. And uh, they specifically say that cops should not be allowed to drive drunk people home except as an absolute last resort if no other Mm. transport is available. Yeah. So this bill that's just passed doesn't do all of that. Um, It's just the first bit to decriminalise drunkenness, uh, which is still good. Um, Solid start. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the government has pledged to implement all 86 of those recommendations, uh, and obviously I hope they do. Uh, and I thought I'd also just say uh, this bill isn't law yet. It's only gone through the lower house. It'll go to the upper house in the next week or two. And while Labor doesn't have an outright majority in the upper house, they only need three crossbenchers or LNP members to support it to get it through, which almost oh. certainly will happen. So uh, it's not quite signed into law yet, but um, it looks like this is going to go through... Uh, which is great. Yeah. And uh, well, well, well overdue. Like, yes. Obviously, these laws are extremely outdated and we are potentially the second last state in Australia to I think decriminalize. The, yeah, yeah. I think Queensland is maybe the only one left. Um, but, yeah, and I think they have some... It's not it's not just... It's like a public nuisance law or right, something right. that it's only ever used to lock up Indigenous people for drinking totally. on yeah. the street. Yeah. Uh, something that a lot of the articles about this mention is that it's been 30 years since the first government inquiry into Indigenous deaths in custody. A royal, I think it was a Royal Commission inquiry. And yeah. um, they recommended repealing these public drunkenness laws and it's taken fucking three decades and how many more deaths. And um, yeah, it's just just awful. And it's good news that it's finally fucking happened. Yeah, big time. Uh, all right, uh, time to move on. Fashy Australia. Um, <laughs> written myself a little uh, intro joke here, which I guess I'll read out. Yeah. Systemic racism in my football club? <laughs> it's exactly as likely as you think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> this story is about uh, sports, a subject upon which 
uh, a subject on which Noon and I, as you can imagine, uh, are experts being uh, both very buff jocks. I do watch a lot of poker and it's broadcast on sports networks. So I am calling myself a jock for the purposes of the story. <laughs> you technically would be the jock of the podcast based on that analysis. We um, we uh, posted a photo of ourselves to our Patreon the other day, and one of our patrons <laughs> responded, hey, you guys look a lot less nerdy than I thought you would. Um, yeah, And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how we could look any nerdier. But um, I guess probably by messing up a whole bunch of the sports-related details in this mm, story, I can mm-hmm. do that. But it's not really a story about sports. It's a story no. about fucking racism. Yep. Racism specifically at the Collingwood Football Club, a.k.a. the Pies, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is AFL, Australian Football League, I'm assuming. Um, Literally everyone listening to the show knows more about this than us, so why don't you just... <laughs> Jump right on. I know. Well, the I know. I know. I know about the. I know about the racism part. Okay, so I meant more about the, the pies. The, yeah. And, oh and yeah, the yeah. They, yeah. Everybody knows more about the pies than I do. Um, the president of the Collingwood Football Club is Eddie Maguire, and even I, who actively avoids learning anything about sport, know that he is a full spectrum bigot. He's mm-hmm. misogynist, ableist, and of course, he's a massive fucking racist. This is an open fact that has been known for a long, long time. Probably one of the most famous incidents was when he suggested that indigenous AFL player Adam Goods could be cast as King Kong. Uh, Just really, really gross, asshole, racist bullshit. Yeah. Um, Anyway, this week, an independent report uh, commissioned by the club found that there was evidence of systemic racism at the club. So now it's official. The report found that there was racism at the highest levels of management at the club and that when issues of racism were brought up, that the club reacted totally defensively, The people who were targeted, you know, the, the targets of the racism were treated with aggression by the club and were undermined. Um, you know, my, my feeling about this report is, uh, like, in that Simpsons one with the Maison Derriere, the, um, like, strip club or whatever, and the, they have a town meeting and they show photos of various town members going in and, um, you know, Seymour and his mum goes, Seymour! And then, you know, whoever else and whoever else. And then... Um, Barney is coming out, and Mo goes, "Oh, uh, oh, Barney, how could you? Uh, yeah, that's. Oh, the pies, you're racist. Oh, yeah, sh- shocking stuff. Um, and so Eddie Maguire like promptly fucked it up, extremely enthusiastically. Yeah. Um, did a press conference after the report was released, saying that it was quote a proud day for the club." He's always he's refused to step down, didn't apologize, and also said that quote there was not systemic racism as such. Interesting. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about like the history, I guess, behind this report mm-hmm. and uh, how the media has been complicit in covering up racism at this football club, uh, and also <laughs> repeatedly undermined the person who first brought it to light. Mm. So in 2017, a documentary about Collingwood player. Heredier Lumumba, who played for the team for nine years, uh, this doco came out about him called Fair Game, which you know talked about his experiences of racism at the club. He's a, a black man who was born in Brazil, um, for context. Uh, and among, among other things, uh, he mentioned that he was frequently called chimp and slave fuck. by other people at the club. Which, the fuck? Does that sound in any way familiar? Kind of King Kong-esque, hmm. perhaps? In tenor? Anyway, um, 
I'm getting a lot of inf- my information about like what happened next from uh, Amir Rahman, who uh, people probably know who he is. He's a, a comedian and a, a personal friend of Lumumba's. Um, he did a great tweet thread about it, but I listened to um, his guest appearance on the podcast Wild Black Women. Well, it's a radio show that's also a podcast, Wild Black Women, um, which is no longer around, unfortunately. That show has um, they've stopped producing it, but it's a really good episode. It's still up. If you search for Ahmed Rahman and Wild Black Women, you can go and hear Ahmed give a great overview of cool. this story. Um, but so the reaction from the club uh, at the time, uh, back in 2017, it is pretty much as this new report would expect you would lead you to expect. Sure. The allegations were denied. Lumumba was depicted by the team's coach as being unreliable because he was having mental health problems. Which, Fucking like, hell! I'm sure so that gross. he was. Yeah. Because he was being <laughs> bullied he was by his colleagues and every bosses day. and bosses, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then and told to just, and then told to just suck it up. Uh, but so uh, the project with uh, you know th- that Channel Ten News show um, did an interview uh, with Lumumba. It was Walid Ali who conducted the interview, and there was a lot that was really fucked up about that. Um, so one of the things he asked Lumumba was why more Collingwood players hadn't like admitted to their own racist behavior. Like, how do we? How can we know that what you're telling us is true when more players haven't come forward? Like, what the f- what the fuck? Why would they? <laughs> why do you think why? they haven't yeah. come forward? Uh, and uh, oh yeah, uh, Ali said that um, uh, they didn't have the Collingwood Football Club side of the story. This turned out to be a total lie. Waleed had actually spoken to the club directly earlier, right. and they had undermined Lumumba's credibility to him. You know, with the with the mental health line. Uh, and Amir Rahman was actually there in the room when the interview was being conducted. He said it was so confrontational that Heredia Lumumba was reduced to tears. Fuck. So it's, you know, obviously, like an incredibly stressful time yeah. for this guy. Um, but they were kind of like, oh, well, maybe he was just being really thorough. Let's wait until the actual piece airs. And then it came out and, yeah, just completely undermined Lumumba's credibility and and just, like, gaslit him on a national stage, yeah. essentially. Then later on the program, Peter Hellier, who was part of the panel, claimed that no one at the club had corroborated Lumumba's claims about the racist nicknames. Right. Walid Ali corrected him, saying, actually... One other person did confirm it, Andrew Krakauer, an indigenous Collingwood player. But then Waleed said, but he's a rare person. <laughs> like, just it's dismissed. Weird, it's a weird yeah, way to like, phrase that, just uh, let alone a shitty thought to have. Fair, it's not good. It's bad. Um, so, this, so now this report has come out and basically confirmed everything that L- Lumumba was saying. Sure. And the project has mysteriously disappeared that episode from its social media accounts. Peter Hellyer has tweeted an apology, but like just pathetic stuff, yeah, really. That's gross from the project as well. Re- like yeah. Like oh really wait, uh, just like hide your poor behavior instead of confronting it. Like Yeah, absolutely. So There's been no like aside from that one tweeted apology from like a single tweet from peter hellier there's been no acknowledgement uh from the project about the job they did on heredier um and yeah i just thought this was an incredible example of how the media runs interference Mm. for institutions and individual races under this like guise of impartiality and 
<laughs> which like is a total fucking sham not just for the reasons that we've discussed previously in the sense that like there is no such thing as like an objective unbiased or whatever yeah but like in this case like you know Waleed is running the line with Heredia in the interview that like oh well we only have your side of the story so we don't have the full picture when in fact he did have the other side of the story yeah and he had corroborating evidence for Lumumba's claims as well like he just yeah but that was from a rare person that was just from another indigenous player so from an indigenous player in the yeah what would an indigenous Collingwood football club player know about racism in the Collingwood football club yeah. And like, I mean, this is just a strain that runs through the, the entire mm. Australian media. Um, I was initially planning for this segment to be kind of like a roundup of like silly racist garbage happening in Australian media, but I thought it would be more interesting to do a deeper dive on this particular um, story. But like mm. the Four Corners report uh, on the Capitol insurrection came out this week right, from right. a journalist who like previously had interviewed... Uh, Trump's white supremacist chief strategist Steve Bannon, and like this four corners piece about the the Capitol uprising is has all of these like people who used to work for Trump being like, oh, I have no idea how this could have happened. Yeah, yeah. Really crossed the line on January six. Like absolutely total refusal to look at the historical context for how like the situation is brought about. And of course, yeah. it's partially the laundering and publication of the views of white supremacists who mm. were part of Trump's team. This Four Corners journalist, Sarah Ferguson, is, is central to, you know, like, she, she she is part of the media establishment that provides the mm. environment for somebody like Trump to incite a fucking violent insurrection, but absolutely no understanding of that. We've talked um, before about the, like, West Wing brain that, uh, Australian mm. journalists and a lot of politicians and like commentators have a, a, like that oh liberal democracy is a impartial process that will inevitably get to the truth if we just like look at all of the facts um, and it's just like re- requires a, a deep and seemingly from my point of view deliberate avoiding of looking at any actual facts to, to come to that conclusion. Anyway, well, in, I, as, I this, know, as this yeah. story proves, like, right, right, like the, right. those guys on the project were actively in, like, in, in real time perform both sides refuting the fact, like being like, oh yeah, but well, yeah, that did happen. But also I don't want to acknowledge it. Yeah. Oh, that's not, that doesn't fit into my narrative. Uh, and like, I don't know, just the way that a bunch of other journalists, have like jumped on this train to criticize Eddie Maguire, which yes, he's a piece of shit, but also yeah. like someone you like Patricia Carvelis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, Carvelis, uh, Patricia Carvelis, uh, who, you know, presents uh, on ABC radio at the moment, but used to work for the Australian. And when she was there ran a, ho- like she wrote a fucking series of articles mm. all about a single tweet from an indigenous woman who had tweeted about uh, having a public disagreement with another uh, indigenous leader about the Northern Territory intervention. Mm-hmm. The person that PK was dragging across the coals for this for this tweet is the indigenous woman who authored the report into right. racism at the Collingwood Football Club. And now and and now Kyvelis is being like, oh, you know, Eddie Maguire has to go. Well, it's like, bro, I, you're part of the system. You yeah. functioned as a Murdoch attack dog to to assassinate so- the character of an indigenous woman who spoke out against conservative government policies, yep. colonialist, colonialist intervention policies. Like, 
anyway, I, I the I, it was it's been a very frustrating. Um, I guess it's been very frustrating to look around and see and and draw these connections. But also, I think you know the silver lining to take from this is that it has been publicly acknowledged. Heredia Lumumba, I think, has been totally vindicated, mm-hmm. um, and he has spoken a lot about how you know he felt very betrayed by the way that he was, but by the media at the time um, when he first came out with these allegations. Uh, but that over the last couple of weeks that he's received a lot of support from black and indigenous journalists who have really helped him tell his side of the story uh, and get his perspective cool. out there. Um, and yeah, I really recommend following him on Twitter because he's, uh, his own analysis of this mm. uh, whole situation is very uh, clear-eyed, very incisive. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, his, his perspective on it is obviously the mm. most important one mm. uh, in this situation. Okay, well, we're going to have a blessed take here, but we're, like, massively over time, so I'm just going to do a real quick version of it. It was the best of takes. It was the worst of takes, you stupid monkey. <laughs> uh, which is that the Clean Energy Finance Corporation will now finance gas-fired power. Non-clean hmm. energy. Yeah, Sounds very... Oh, that's not clean? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's pretty fucked. That's basically the whole story. Uh, might come back to it in the future when... They start actually giving money to gas projects or whatever. So, but yeah, uh, it's bad. But this actually dovetails very nicely into our next segment, which is a potluck. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. And this comes from a friend, confidant, member of our inner sanctum, friend of the show, Tilda. Uh, so why don't we listen to that? Hey there, snackers. Tilda here, long-time listener, first-time caller. I just wanted to ring in and ask about the length of your episodes. As you might be aware, I make a couple of shows for 3CR Community Radio, and we are beset somewhat by standardised show lengths. These can constrain what we do a lot of the time. You mob, though, in the wild frontier land of the podcast, have no such limitations, so far as I can tell. Yet, so often, you're apologising for running over time, and you're cutting stories from the show if you feel like the thing's been running for too long. Um, I just want to ask, how come? Over the various lockdowns, many of us have been starved for good quality podcasting, and some of us even pay you for even more podcast minutes each month. So, why are you holding out on us? Is it some kind of artificial podcast scarcity you're trying to create? Or is it something about the immortal science of Marxism, Leninism, podcastism that I'm yet to understand? Keep up the great work. Love yous. Bye! That, and thank you very much for that this extremely is the, sweet... It was the nicest potluck, potluck I think we've ever gotten. Tilda. Yeah, that's, that, just... and that's, that's really lovely. And, and we obviously love to hear that people want to hear more <laughs> yeah. of us prattling on. Look, and here, okay, here's the, here's the contest. Do, do a classic, we'll do a deep dive story Great. time. Hit me. When we first started the podcast, you know, we weren't sure what, what was going to happen with it. Mm. We just kind of... Did, Started doing it and thought, you know, we'll take it as it comes. And I set a rule with Noon. I said, this show is going to be 30 minutes long, no longer, because... Well, you specifically, you were like, I fucking hate podcasts that are just some dudes waffling <laughs> for, like, hours. And I just, you, yeah, you didn't I, want I that. Wanted... You want us to be tight, focused, stick to what the show's meant to be about. Exactly. And, like, yeah, and not not let the scope creep too much. Yeah. Um, and partially that was 
aimed at like uh creating yeah like a relatively tight show but also not being sure whether or not people actually did want to hear us for yeah. any longer than that yeah. because personally i really struggle to get through a podcast that's longer than an hour in general i just won't like i'll listen to 45 minutes and i'll have and that then i'll have finished my chores and i'll just never come back to it so that's another thing is like we know that if the show goes longer than an hour, like looking at the stats, yeah, that the listenership drop massively drops off. So yeah. that's another thing. Uh, and the other thing is uh, the effort involved. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially have, at your you know, end. Yeah, like it's it's partially like we try to write the show to, for an hour to like, that's roughly about as much time as we have in the week to like prepare good stories, stories for. Yeah. And then obviously... The longer it is, the more involved the editing is. So it's partially like, yeah, it's a it's about a time, like it's about how much time it takes to make the show as well. But I maybe think you're right, Tilda. We should stop apologizing to people because <laughs> yeah. for the most part, people don't seem to really care. Yeah. And if and in fact, as you say, potentially would appreciate longer shows. I think the hour is also sort of like useful psychologically for me and I assume for you as well in terms of like, I don't know, we always say, oh, there's just too much damn news. But like we could make (laughs) a five hour show about Collingwood racism if we wanted Mm. to and like we wouldn't even do the whole story in that time. So like having a, a, a soft but reasonably firm limit of an hour just gives us, you know, a ballpark to work in and like... Uh, it, yeah, it's a totally it gives artificial us to cut stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a totally artificial, self-imposed uh, boundary, as you put it, because we have the, uh, as you put it, Tilda, we're in the Wild West of uh, audio. Yeah, uh, we the, uh, we went for a drive the other day. Zach, Zach, and I we went and did a couple of trades and chores and stuff because I don't have a car and Zach does, and it was really nice hanging out, not doing the podcast because like a lot of our social time kind of ends up being podcasting. Podcast time. But we did have a whole lot of chats about politics and political theory and all this other stuff, and I was thinking like, um, oh. uh, we we joked about it at the time, like maybe we should have an, an like another bonus content where you know we just go for a drive pop that recorder in the middle of the dashboard and just like, you know, chat while we, we, we go around. Uh, so I don't know, maybe, um, maybe we can include <laughs> that as a $5 that careful what you tier. Wish for? Pardon? <laughs> Are you saying careful what you wish for? Yeah. Or you, or you might just get us talking <laughs> for hours on end, live streams of us just like talking shit about anything. Yeah. So, hmm. Well, hopefully that partially answers your question, Tilda. Um, but also thank but, you for uh, asking it as, as we said, such a nice objection to our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like one of them good problems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, listener, if you want to submit a potluck, uh, we love them. Please submit uh, an audio recording of yourself speaking about some political thing or it could be a podcast related thing. Or a meme or thing. you want a, a meme thing, uh, send that into contact at ozpolsnackpod.com. We love them to be uh, at about a minute. And Tilda was right on the money. Maybe that's the... Um, community radio muscles totally yeah yeah coming in right on the money yeah um all right let's move on quickly to you fucked up i'm gonna be away next week we're not gonna release a new episode i'm going we're going to release uh our bonus episode from january which was a deep dive into craig kelly goes for about an hour and 20 minutes and it tells you pretty much everything you need to know about dude's backstory and how we kind of got to the position that we're in where he's now 
basically a, a shitlord, um, a, a taxpayer-funded shitlord. Um, so, but but there have been developments in the Craig Kelly saga this week. So, as a little addendum, I wanted to just cover off um, some of the little developments that happened this week. So, you know, people are probably aware that Craig Kelly has been like getting kookier and kookier, posting lots of conspiracy theories about COVID and previously has been a huge climate change denier, which by the way, is also a conspiracy theory. But Scott Morrison has basically up until this point, point blank refused to pull him into line essentially. Um, because at the end of the day, the liberal party needs these fringe kooks because mm. they need, they need to signal to the far uh, right. That know, they're their party. To far, Exactly, yeah. But this week that changed. So Craig Kelly went on Pete Evans's podcast. Pete Evans, uh, ex-celebrity chef, turned right-wing shitlord. But they're both shitlords, really. He's a grifter. Um, he, he got in trouble with health, the Food and Drug grifter. Administration for like uh, making a de- selling a device that claimed to cure coronavirus, which did not cure coronavirus. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it just shined things. UV light onto your uh, butthole. Anus, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he also shared Nazi iconography on his Facebook page mm. and was like, yeah, I think more people should be following this uh, topic. Uh, he had Nazi some way shit. of saying, yeah, it's, he's a fucking Nazi. Yeah, feel, he, he yeah. Was, you feel confident in calling him a Nazi? I mean, I he's do. posting Nazi shit. I don't know if you if you want to split hairs here. But anyway, so Craig Kelly went on this Nazi guy's podcast, at which point the pressure on Scott Morrison to, like, tell this guy to stop doing such kooky shit. Um, kooky's probably generous uh, a generous term for yeah. going on a Nazi podcast. Um, but, you know, the pressure builds on Morrison. So Morrison... Uh, Morrison's office very obviously puts out, like, calls around and says that he's told Craig Kelly that he is, quote, not happy with uh, Craig Kelly's internet shit posting, uh, conspiracy posting, going on nuts. M- mainly around uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, which are like. Uh, yeah, drugs the idea which being some people that, think are useful for treating coronavirus or managing coronavirus. Yeah, the idea symptoms. being that, like, Kelly is undermining the public health messaging around Corona, undermining yeah. faith in vaccine, that kind of thing. So Morrison, like, that, like, there's no evidence that this happened, but you know, there a lot of uh, news outlets are running with the headline that Morrison is quote not happy with Craig Kelly. Uh, turns out dressing down. Well, no, that, so that's separate. So then, oh, okay, okay, Craig Kelly has this run-in with. Tanya Plibersek in the hallways of Parliament, which is such a coincidence there are all those cameras there, but whatever. Um, And nothing much of substance is said uh, in this exchange in the hallway between uh, Labor's Tanya Plibersek and and Craig Kelly, but uh, there are lots of great photos of Craig Kelly, like, clearly yelling at the top of his lungs and pointing his fingers aggressively at Plibersek while she just kind of, like, gives a bit of a, like... Jim Halpert from the office style look to the camera. Like you couldn't have staged it better, Tanya. Yeah. Credit where it's due. Um and after that happened, um Scott Morrison's office called around to various papers and said that he had quote hauled in Craig Kelly for a quote dressing down. 
and you know that they that this is coming from his office and not the words of the journals, but right, partially right. because it's in quotes. But like everybody was running the exact same language. It really bugs me that, uh, and I do it as well because like I read all of these articles as preparation for the show, and then I put in my notes. And I always like, I'm always like, oh fuck, they've used the same phrase in every single article. What is another yeah. phrase that means this same thing? And it's, it's just <laughs> it's just constant like, yeah, journalists well, huff, huffing their own farts. Yeah, they do. And also, and like huffing the farts of the prime minister's office. Yeah, yeah. And, and it honestly, it's something I think we have to actively fight against on this show is not to regurgitate messaging yeah, from yeah. politicians because, yeah, I mean, his line has just been swallowed wholesale. Scott yeah. Morrison's line about, oh, yeah, I've been very severely dressing down Craig Kelly for this. Uh, and yeah, the media swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, although, according to. Hugh Remington, Craig Kelly told him that Morrison had not contacted him at all. Hilarious. Uh, so, <laughs> oh who's God. lying? History tells us probably fucking both of them. <laughs> by, like, they, yeah, yeah. And, so and probably like, he does did it get it talking to, but it was like, we appreciate having you on board, Craig. Um, <laughs> they both lied. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's likely. Um, what I mean, and who knows? But it's like it's a bunch of bullshit. Like yeah, Morrison yeah. hasn't really shit, in yeah. any kind of significant way pulled, like you know, refuted Kelly's mm. flagrant misinformation about yeah. uh, about COVID. Sorry, go on. Oh, there's just been a, a bunch of people saying that they're going to challenge Kelly for pre-selection um, before the next election, uh, which. Uh, because of this bullshit. Uh, but if you're interested in more of that, uh, we will be releasing this month's, oh, January's bonus episode about Craig Kelly, uh, which, yeah, as Zach already mentioned, goes into a bunch about the pre-selection and Craig Kelly and um, the the ructions there. So it's it's interesting to see that once again, pre-selections are coming up as like a response to his kooky conspiracy theory bullshit. Uh, and we shall yeah, see. Yeah, it will be genuinely is. interesting to see how the Liberal Party responds because, yeah, he's been on a knife's edge, hasn't had grassroots support in his elect- in, within his branch yeah, yeah. for a while. It has been, and like three successive prime ministers have reached in to save him from pre-selection challenges. Yep. Uh, and the same person who like almost took the spot the last couple of times is running again uh, this pre-selection. So I don't know. I would, I say I, my... F- my uh, perspective is that Craig Kelly's days are numbered. Yeah, I, um, I would guess so as well, um, but we shall see. Yeah, But yeah, we'll have to wait and see because, as we say, the Liberal Party loves to have your Craig, occasional Craig Kelly, your occasional George Christensen yeah. over in the Nats as well because they make the party look very friendly to fringe right-wing kooks. Mm. Um, uh, just very briefly before we finish this story, I wanted to mention yeah. the uh, motion that was in the Senate. Um, that oh, yes. The Labour Party brought. Um, and basically this was a, a motion that basically is like, well, Senate doesn't like far right conspiracy theorists. Um, and it got, and then it was amended to say the Senate is pretty chill with conspiracy theorists. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, like it's pretty fucked. So like, uh, it said, uh, other far right extremist groups, which seeks to promote fascism and bigotry in our community are, are bad or whatever. Uh, and this was also about the National Socialist Network who went camping in the Grampians last week, which we talked about. Um, but it's been amended to say that uh, other 
deleted far right, other extremist groups which seek to promote fascism, communism, anarchism, violence, and bigotry in our community. <laughs> and the the but somehow the worst thing in this was the amendment of the very first line, which said there has been a significant increase in far right extremism in Australia. Got replaced with Australia is one of the most successful multicultural countries in the world. Uh, which is just like it's disgusting. Just so flagrant. That's just so fucking flagrant. Uh, and these amendments got up, and then it got passed. So the the Senate passed a motion saying it doesn't like anarchism, and also maybe <laughs> or fascism. communism. Yeah, yeah. I guess we may as well mix some fascism in, in there while we're um, decrying isms. It's very yeah. It's it's totally pathetic, weak shit. Yeah, from the Senate here, like. It's a bullshit motion to begin with. Like, it's just that the Senate notes that. Yeah, and, like, it, it wasn't going to do anything even if it was no, well-worded. Yeah, Like, yeah, they have no material effect. They're 100% just, like, political posturing. But then to get so, like, thoroughly fucking trampled, even in your meaningless political posturing, shows such lack of spine yep. from the Labour Party here to then vote for this. It's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Anyway... Yeah, so I, I, the connection to the story there was that this uh, motion specifically called out Craig Kelly That's and right. George Christensen. That's right, yeah. And the basically being like... Amendments got these, rid of that. Yeah, exactly. They're like, we condemn all of the... The member for horrific- Houston Dawson for promoting a range of conspiracy theories and misinformation campaigns relating to COVID-19, climate change, voter fraud, and false flag operations in the United States. Uh, and that got replaced with... Um, uh, we condemn uh, conspiracy theories by the far right and far left. So, great, yes, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is it time for shit post of the week? I think it's time. Shit post of the week, uh, and this one goes out to multiple shit posts of the week winner Travis DeVries, uh, who friend of the show was on Megapod. It really, you know was a big part of Megapod, if, if our, you know, if you listen to that. It's our uh, summer collaboration with a few other podcasts. And Travis uh, co-hosts the Bro Originals podcast with his brother, Texas. And um, if you want an hour-long version of this shitpost of the week segment, go listen to the Bro Originals <laughs> episode about this. It's called The Meme That Shook the World. Um, Boy, and- did it. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, Travis, I think for a while, he goes into this more in the podcast. Uh, it was really enjoyable, by the way, having another show encounter the difficulty of describing memes on a podcast. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, Travis, uh, you know, finds the thing about in acknowledgments of country. Some people will say we acknowledge elders past, present, and emerging. And he thinks that an emerging bit is weird. Problematic. Problematic. <laughs> I don't think it's like strongly against it necessarily, but like he thinks it's a bit weird. And so he, he as a joke, as a meme, made this meme from TAFE New South Wales, a diploma in future Aboriginal elder, oh, a diploma in emerging Aboriginal elder. I think it was a Cert 4 originally, actually. I've got a, I've got a yeah. later version of this image. Uh, and it's just Travis smiling at the camera with this TAFE <laughs> ad for a course in emerging aboriginal elder which obviously doesn't exist um, i think it's important to note here because this is why trav got in trouble is that it's an extremely accurately like designed <laughs> it does look like a tafe poster yeah exactly exactly yeah it's it's a perfect imitation of 
the the TAFE ads for their little courses that they've got there. And he made another one with his dad of the same thing with a text of like a testimonial from his dad being like, oh, now I've got a piece of paper so everyone respects me in the community or whatever. And, you know, (laughs) very silly. They got a cease and desist letter from New South Wales TAFE for using their logo and name. Uh, And so... (laughs) Which uh, also says... Also, there is no such course as a certificate for an emerging Aboriginal elder. Like, he made them type that. Yeah, very funny. Just kills me. So anyway, (laughs) he he took them down and replaced them with ones that are from fate New South Wales. Fully Aboriginal training experience. Uh, uh, And and without the the TAFE logo. So anyway, Travis, amazing. That's some real effort posting. Accidental effort posting. Um, But if, yeah, if you want to hear Travis talk about this, uh, go go over to Bro Originals. It was a lot of fun. His brother didn't know anything about it when he got on board. And also they they recorded over a couple days. So the first bit is like him talking about the drama on the Facebook and then a couple days later they record another bit where he's like, so uh, we've got to cease and desist letter yeah anyway <laughs> go, go give it a listen uh thanks for the content travis uh keep, keep up the posting please please never stop posting <laughs> all right so uh we are way over time but uh you know tilda's put like inspired us to not give a fuck about that so i'm just gonna power ahead with this uh mains. even yeah. though i'm i'm sweaty i'm exhausted my body is <laughs> folding in on itself <laughs> we're at one, we're already one behind schedule to release minutes. for today. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, but I'm, I'm going to push through. I'm going to right. slam I'll, some I'll caffeine into my veins. I'll try and be brief veins. about this. We, we've also been trying to do this story for like a month now, so I just we I can't want to fucking it. get it done. Yeah, and we're going to do a good job. We're going to do a good job. I appreciate like, your uh, your confidence th- in me, Zach. Yeah, you're going to well, do a good job, and I'm going to cheer you on. Today we're serving up. Uh, I thought maybe salty media. Zach suggested Google Noodles. I think I like Google Noodles. It, it's less of a pun and more of an alliteration, but uh, it's good. Hmm. So more yeah, of a it's, homonym, homophone. Yeah, vaguely a, a slant rhyme. Whatever. Uh, we're behind time, so it's, we're just it's gonna... a bit. It's a, It is a bit Eminem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Flanagan's mom's mom's Google Google Noodles <laughs> on this sweater already. Yeah. Vomeronda's poodle of brutal. <laughs> Okay, see, this is what happens if we go for literally one minute more. I'm going to cut that. I'm going to cut that. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, so as many of you will have seen, uh, Google has been putting up little boxes, little notices for Australian users that redirects them to a video uh, of a Google employee claiming that the government is going to break how Google works. Um, So what are they worried about? Uh, Basically, the Australian government is considering legislation called the News Media and Digital Platforms Mandatory Bargaining Code, which for obvious reasons is usually referred to as the code. Uh, Mm. I was going to say, say, has anybody come up with a better name for that yet? As like just the, going media, with the code. media code, yeah, the code. Yeah. All right, the code, sure. So, um, whenever a bill goes to Parliament, they also have this thing, the explanatory memoranda, which is basically like uh, a note being like, "This is what we meant this bill to do. This is why we did it. <laughs> this is what it's supposed to do." And the idea is that later on, if uh, you know, fifty years from now, uh, parliamentarians can look at that when they're trying to rewrite laws and make amendments and they'll be like, well, this was the purpose. We need to make sure the laws stay in that purpose even if we change the details. Whatever. That's a bit of a side note. So, from the explanatory memoranda for this bill, 
This bill establishes a mandatory code of conduct to help support the sustainability of the Australian news media sector by addressing bargaining power imbalances between digital platforms and Australian news businesses. So basically, in 2019, the ACCC, which is the Australian Consumer and Competition Commission, which is basically like the market regulator for the entire country, uh, found that a huge proportion of internet ad revenue goes to Google and Facebook. Um, so according to their report, 47% of all online ad revenue goes to Google and 24% to Facebook, with the remaining 29% shared by everyone else. Mm. Uh, and so they also said this concentration uh, in Google and Facebook is increasing every year. So it's going to be more of a monopoly or duopoly, I guess, as, as t- every year. And the reason this is a problem is that it means money isn't going to journalists. So what the way that newspapers basically used to be funded, journalism has never made money. What makes money is selling ad space. And it used to be newspapers that sold ad space. They get the money, then they pay the journalists. The journalists go do the reporting. It all sort of feeds itself. But now that Google and Facebook are there, they're getting all of the ad money and then for redirecting uh, traffic to those sites. Uh, and it basically means that print media and radio, the traditional media forms, can't afford to keep their staff. And over the last couple of years, we've seen huge budget cuts and staff cuts from every newspaper and media organization in the country. Um, the Murdoch Press especially like closed down 200 outlets or something. I, I don't have yeah. the number with me, but it, it's like, I mean, yeah, fuck those guys, but like, it's, you know, they were doing important work for their communities as well. Yeah, a lot of them were just small local papers. Right, right, that happened to be owned by... Murdoch, but yeah, I mean, still fuck them, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so originally, the ACCC report suggested that Google and Facebook basically sort their own shit out. And again, from the explanatory memoranda, um, the review does not recommend a mandatory code as an immediate measure. Rather, the ACCC remember, uh, recommended a code requiring designated digital platforms to develop codes. Okay, so their their report was basically like Google and Facebook should fix this up, and then if they don't, we can legislate. So yeah, in 2019, the government asked the ACCC to work with the digital, with Google and Facebook uh, and the news media businesses to develop voluntary codes, um, and then to mm-hmm. provide a progress report by May 2020. Uh, but then they asked for an update uh, before May 2020, and the ACCC was basically like, "Look, they've had discussions. There's basically no progress going to be made. We think it's unlikely that any voluntary agreement is going to be reached." And so the mm-hmm. government was like, "Okay, cool. Well, we'll just do a mandatory code then." We are going to give these massive corporations the opportunity to voluntarily reduce their profits. A couple months later, hmm, seems these big corporations are not going to voluntarily reduce their profits. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much it. Yeah. I- <laughs> uh, so, yeah, why don't we hear from uh, Google Australia Managing Director Mel Silver about what this code would do. Let me try and say it another way. Imagine your friend asks for a coffee shop recommendation. So you tell them about a few nearby so they can go and choose one and go get a coffee. But then you get a bill to pay all the coffee shops simply because you mentioned a few of them. When you put a price on linking to certain information, you break the way that search engines work and you no longer have a free and open web. We're not against a new law, but we need it to be a fair one. Hmm. The uh, premise of, that the internet is already free and open is an interesting assertion there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely no way in which, like, uh, an oligarchic monopoly might stop it being free and open. Hmm. But, mm. like, 
really what I wanted to play that for is because that analogy of the coffee shop leaves out a lot of very important details. The most important one being that you don't earn billions of dollars from a business entirely based around recommending cafes to people. Uh, and <laughs> listeners, if you do, in fact, earn billions of dollars from that business, uh, please consider supporting SnackPod at the shadowy financier tier on Patreon. Um, yeah, and also, like, it would probably be fair for those cafes to want a little <laughs> bit of that money. Yeah, like, totally. So Famously so bas- not a particularly high-margin business. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So, essentially what this code is going to do is force Google and Facebook and they can add other companies to it later uh, to negotiate with news companies either individually or collectively for a share of the ad revenue collected from people clicking through to Australian news media sites. Uh, That's a little bit convoluted, but like basically every time you click on a Google link to ABC or the Australian or whatever, Google gets like 12 cents from it because they showed you an ad Um, and something like, you know, 4% 4% of all of their ad revenue from those clicks will then be paid to the news media companies that they're sending those links to. AKA uh, breaking the internet. Yes. Right, right. And so Did the breaking so the internet thing, I kind of don't want to go into it. It's this whole like late 80s, early 90s tech hacker nerd thing about what hypertext transfer protocol does and the way that links work on the internet and it's been this like important organizing principle from a previous era of the internet basically that like Mm. mel silver you know she's been in this industry for decades has come up through google and and whatever like she was a hacker at the time when these things were relevant now they're no longer relevant because we have like a modern internet infrastructure so whatever there's already more time than i wanted to spend on that argument if you want to read more about it you can you can go find out about like http links and money and whatever so what google and facebook are super mad about is that this code the way it works is um they 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 have to negotiate with the media companies but if they if that bargaining doesn't come to an agreement there will be an independent government tribunal uh and uh, here's again from the uh, the memoranda where parties cannot come to a negotiated agreement about remu- remuneration, an arbitral panel will select between two final offers made by the bargaining parties. Okay, so this independent government panel will be like, okay, well, Google said this, the Age said this, we're going to choose between these two options. Mm-hmm. And of course, Google and, hate, and Facebook hate that because, like, the commission will presumably nearly always choose the more expensive op- uh, option that the news media companies propose. Because, like, that's kind of what the tribunal will be there to do. And Google yes. says it, quote, incentivizes publishers to make ambit claims, which is definitely true. Uh, an ambit claim is, quote, an extravagant initial demand made in expectation of an eventual counteroffer and compromise. So basically it's like uh, the news media will highball their estimates and then the government will decide in their favor. So obviously Google and Facebook are mad as fuck about it. And, like, I guess on some level... It's understandable, if not fair enough, but whatever. Yeah. So they've given Australia definitely not a threat, but if you don't do what we'll say, uh, we'll hurt you. Uh, and Google has basically said that they will stop providing the search function to Australia, um, which is funny, kind of. Uh, yeah. It's like, we will not do the Google. Um, but in my opinion, much more insidiously and destructively, Facebook has said they will stop showing Australian news outlet content in people's feeds, mm. uh, which is a lot more harder to spot than going to google.com and being told, like, fuck off. Um, yeah. You just don't see it. 
So um, this is a side note in the last couple of days since I wrote these notes from last week, but uh, Microsoft has been like, hell yeah, we'll pay for Australian news content on Bing. <laughs> uh, and in fact, Bing is Australia's second largest search engine. Uh, what they the get, fuck? Yeah, they get 3.7% of Australian search traffic <laughs> compared to Google's 95%. Uh, and, uh, you know, I said before, like, the this code will have an option for them to include more tech companies in the future, uh, but mm. no one has suggested that Microsoft or Bing should be involved because they're not relevant in the slightest. They get a essentially no money from Australian news companies and no one cares. I think Scott Morrison has been has uh, been like, yeah, Bing'll do it. Right. So Microsoft sought a meeting with him to basically be like, look, <laughs> right. we will pump billions of dollars into Bing <laughs> in order to make it an acceptable substitute for Google should push come to shove and Google fuck we off out of here. We know we suck, but we could not suck. We suck promise. a bit less. <laughs> we could suck n- enough for australia yeah um, <laughs> yeah it would be so perfect for our national search engine to, be <laughs> to become big that would yeah that is that is truly australian look I, our internet speed we're, I, we're, we're establishing a down under <laughs> internet aesthetic shit true. speeds what? no google <laughs> world's leading simpsons shit posters yeah um <laughs> And actually, on that note, I, I should do a little uh, conflict of interest mention here. I used Google, Bing, and Ecosia to find out information of this because I wasn't super keen on the results that Google was giving me. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's been a lot of debate about this. Uh, is it worth it? Uh, how is it going to affect Google's income? Blah, blah, blah. And I think actually Australia is sort of oddly badly positioned in this debate because as a, quote, middle power... We're very visible internationally, but we don't actually have very much power. So mm. we're the perfect country to make an example of. Google can easily afford to lose the, you know, $4 billion or whatever. There's debate about how much, but, you know, $4 billion they make from Australia for the next year mm. to punish us for trying to regulate them if it means that the USA or Russia or whatever don't Try also do that. Yeah, they, if yeah. they get scared off, it's worth it. And so... Uh, actually, in the last couple of days, Google has launched this thing called Google News Showcase. Uh, and this is their attempt to basically be like, whoa, 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 okay, we don't need this mandatory code. We've got it under control. We're doing a voluntary thing. Um, and so this is their solution. And basically, it's a news app. Like, you know, on your phone, you get ABC News or Al Jazeera or whatever. This is a Google or News Google app. News, which I have on my phone. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and so... Uh, the way that Showcase is going to work is it's going to let you see some paywalled content that Google will pay the news companies for, uh, but not everything. So you'll still have to subscribe to the Australian or the Age or whatever to get full access. Um, And so they're like, oh, this is a great solution. Uh, It means that companies will get subscribers. We'll pay them a bit. Everyone's happy. Um, And so this has also been implemented in France in the last couple of weeks. So 120 French media organizations signed up to this deal, the the terms of which are secret. But according to this guy, Didier Guerin, who's a chief executive at some media consulting firm, uh, he said this, For France, it's a bad deal. Very bad. It reduces the value of the content created by publishers. The situation in France is that there are more publishers than in Australia, but they are smaller and more vulnerable. And with the COVID situation, it's been very tough. They were facing Google who said, take it or leave it. And so they said, we'll take it. Um, and Chris cool, Jansen, that sounds great. That bodes really well. Totally, yeah. 
so Chris Jans, who's a big wig at Nine, uh, which owns the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, said, quote, and this was at a Senate inquiry, he said, uh, hearing, he said, it works at a price set by Google based on an opaque global formula. The take-it-or-leave-it terms are set by Google, and it doesn't address the bargaining imbalance of Google's core search product, which was identified by the ACCC. So he's saying they're not paying enough, it's all on their terms, and it doesn't respond to the issue that this legislation was designed to respond to. Yeah. So... It's a Nine, bullshit solution. It's a bullshit solution. Because it's that, come from the, the corporation who are trying to protect their bottom line. Exactly. Exactly right. And so uh, Nine and Murdoch are the two biggest media organizations in Australia, and they're basically saying they won't sign up to the showcase deal, which is good. They have been talking with Google about it, but they have signaling pretty strongly that they won't uh, sign up. And so, uh, But a lot of other smaller outlets like Crikey and the Saturday paper have signed up to this Google showcase deal. Mm. Which um, has... That French guy says, like, you know, you're a smaller outlet. You're hemorrhaging money. People you aren't do what you subscriptions do. for news anymore. Yeah, got to get yep. that buck f- from whence you can take it. Yeah. Um, and so Scott Morrison had a meeting with the Google CEO, CEO who, um, this is a complete side note, but he is a very intense looking guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty unclear what they discussed. It was secret. Um, but Scott Morrison said a couple of contradictory things. Um, one thing that he said, which worries no. me, is that he said, I was able to send Google the best possible signals that should give them a great encouragement to engage with the process and conclude the arrangements. We'd like to see them conclude with the various news media organizations in Australia, and that is the best way to enable that matter to be settled. Which, that to me... doesn't mean anything. Well, unfortunately, I think it means he wants everyone to sign up to showcase so that he doesn't have to do anything and just, you know, let the free market rip, right? Uh, That's an extremely that... Scott Morrison response, yeah. Exactly, it's pretty much what i would have assumed he meant if he hadn't actually done all of this stuff so far to try and put this bargaining code in in place Hmm. uh so yeah unclear he also said some other stuff that sounded like he was going to implement the code and there was nothing that they could do about it uh and like some people seem to think that his meeting with bing was basically there to as leverage so he could be to google like fuck it you guys can leave we've got bing or whatever you know so who knows there's also been a lot of people pointing out that in China and in other countries, like Russia's blocked a bunch of websites and whatever, whatever, like mm. people use VPNs and Australians will also just use VPNs. So who knows? Uh, unclear what the outcome's going to be. Watch this space. Google will definitely tell you if anything changes, but in the most biased and one-sided way possible. So, you know, mm. keep watching the skies, I guess, or the, the Google search boxes. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean... It's capitalism. It's bad. It's mm, doing a bad job. Mm. Um, I mean, it's if you remove the financial imperative from like the media ecosystem, then you don't have this problem in the first place. Right, but right. I, but I like you know that's obviously a very uh, socialist response to this. But also, like I think. The Australian government over the past couple of decades has has been responsible, especially the last couple of years in particular, for like massively concentrating uh, the power of like it, media power amongst a mm. few very large actors. Definitely, uh, with you know, I mean, and for various reasons, as the like industry shrinks, the you know Murdoch and and Nine have kind of like 
sucked up all these yeah. little resources. But then, well, yeah, you get... Also, the Gillard government, I'm pretty sure it was, implemented a, a media law that prevented a whole lot of that, like, yeah, monopolizing or duopolizing or whatever. And then it was repealed, uh, I think, under Abbott. Um, and basically, Ooh. yeah, there were, like, laws like... And just recently, actually, I think, uh, under Scott Morrison, there were laws about, you know, uh, you can't own more than... Th- two types of media in the same area and yeah. all this other stuff and about penetration and coverage percentages that are it's a bit dry, but like they repealed it so that it could all be owned by Murdoch, basically. Um and then like now they're kind of getting fucked by it on some yeah. Yeah, I don't exactly know like what the conclusion I'm trying to draw here mm. is just that like the forces of capital are not interested in like fair quality and journalism de- yeah exactly and like good dissemination of in- information amongst the population it was funny but depressing reading a bunch of like google blogs official google blogs about this whole thing because mm. a lot of them start with these like breathless uh like there was one that was like i remember every day my dad would read the paper and i would sit staring at him waiting for him to finish so that i could look at the headlines and even to this day he still texts me when he sees something in the newspaper and and so obviously <laughs> good journalism is important to me and and that's why we think these media organizations shouldn't have any money um <laughs> and it's just like amazing the like corporate double speak that happens and the like yeah you can tell exactly what they don't want by what they say they're in favor of. It's yeah, it's really disgusting and so overt. Yeah. The other interesting aspect I think to this is these massive corporations basically emerging as these entities that have more power than nation states. Yeah, uh, like yeah, someone totally. like yeah. Google and Facebook would be the best, really the best mm. examples of that. Um, and I mean the kind of compa- the, the situation that first came to my mind as a comparison was the plain packaging laws, mm, which, totally, yeah. uh, which we brought in. Oh, geez, a little while ago now. Pretty sure um, that was Gillard as well. Yeah, I think it was under Gillard. You're right. Um, and like that caused massive international controversy within the business community because yeah. it's like uh, obviously massively undercutting the profits of tobacco companies Mm. you've got a slightly easier fight on your hands there as australia because Mm. almost everybody is going to automatically place you as like morally superior in this situation yeah whereas this example is a people like google they've got bright primary colors and exactly and also the issue is like far more convoluted and right yeah it's like Um, about the budgets of the ad revenue for organizations that do not that like it, it's all and yeah, like and the like, way in which search engines funnel that ad revenue away isn't like entirely obvious and i don't think i even explained that super clearly in this because it wasn't really the point of the story but yeah. like it's yeah it's a vague and complicated and detailed story and that's never the way to get the moral high ground no matter which side you're on no and like in a way google's position is like let Keep the status quo. Totally, let us totally. Keep slowly bleeding the media industry, which has been happening for ages. Yeah, it's really invisible. And just, what? Yeah, yeah. This, what I was trying to get at before, I guess, is that you know that bleeding of the media industry has been helped along by mm, governments mm. who are interested in like you know reactionaries. Yeah, exactly. But also, you know, have like 
you know, are very interested in more conservative, larger news or news mm, organizations mm. absorbing smaller ones that might have slightly more dissenting opinions. But so I think, you know, this is probably like there are going to be so many more of these cases going forward of big companies' interests conflicting directly with governments yeah. and them winning out because like capital is the only important leverage in this situation at the end yeah. of the day. And like Google has way more fucking money to burn than Australia. Than the Australian like, government does, yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of what it comes down to. Uh, and there are like some developments in terms of uh, international courts or like tribunals where these cases get heard, but yeah, not yeah. on this scale. I wonder if there's going to need to be some kind of even stronger like formalization for these processes because obviously at the moment it's just kind of ad hoc like Google and Facebook negotiating with the Australian government, mm. refusing to negotiate as the case may be. But, the, you know, as like uh capital has kind of globalized and and uh, but simultaneously centralized like in these massive companies uh yeah i mean there's like these conflicts between private organizations and governments are going to become more mm. and more frequent i think um and this is kind of, could be an interesting bellwether potentially mm, um, totally to see how these kinds of things are going to play because as you say it's like from google's perspective this is almost more important as like a demonstration of power of the it's power shop yeah, and yeah. type shit yeah. Yeah. yeah and they're actually looking at yeah you know what the u.s might do in response all right well this is easily our longest episode ever i'm pretty sure at this point so um why don't we wrap it up thank you all so much for listening uh assuming you got this far um if if you did thanks uh we are going to still try and keep to an hour but i guess that potluck gave us you know a little bit of permission to go a little, little longer this week um, if you like the show, if you do want an extra hour plus of us talking every month, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash OzPolSnackPod. Give us one US dollar a month and you get a bonus episode. Um, it's lovely. We, we love seeing new patrons. When we get to 100 Patreons, we're going to release a jungle slash drum and bass remix of the Ozpol Snack Pod theme song and all of the stings. It's fucking great. I've heard it. I love it. I want you to hear it. Please sign up on Patreon. Um... Is that it? Is that it for end of the show stuff? Yeah, Should we I guess do our, so. Get to our pup date. Oh yeah. Now it's time for a pup date. Yeah, what's Bagel been up to? So this is actually from this morning. Normally, I like uh, try and accumulate a story at some point during the week, but this was just literally this morning. I had a really good uh, training session. You know, I, uh, he's very reactive, so I uh, often on our walks walk up and down the outside of the dog park so he can like look at dogs that can't actually touch him basically um and give him treats so he's like oh i see a dog i get a treat this is a nice time and he, hopefully he'll learn that dogs are fun and uh, you know whatever it's very slow difficult work but it was going really well finished up on the way home and there was a woman just inside her fence and it was a really tall fence that i couldn't see through but bagel apparently could and she just like moved slightly and he just completely lost his nut he's just like mm. and i i thought a dog must have come up on the other side of the fence and like 
barked at him, but it was literally just a woman who like rotated 90 degrees. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And Bagel was just like going nuts. And like, you know, five minutes earlier, they'd be like, German Shepherd's running up to him and trying to play with him on the other side of the fence. And he was like, oh, I'm a good, calm boy. So anyway, it was funny that like that was what what gave him a big shock. But anyway, yeah. Probably just surprised him. He just didn't know. Like, he didn't it, see it. And then, yeah. Actually, yeah, it was funny. It, Yesterday, we were playing in the backyard. My housemate came out and neither of us saw her. And then Bagel noticed her before I did and was like, Baro! oh, it's my friend. And yeah, it was very <laughs> funny. Anyway. Yeah, it'll happen with Dante occasionally where he like, He'll he'll be very chill, or like we'll be passing another dog, or like a bird, or something, and I can just I just can tell that he hasn't he hasn't it. seen it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that might be because I'm deliberately distracting him with treats, yep. telling him he's a good boy, being like, look over here, this other thing that's not yep. something that will make you bark, and then but the like if he does notice suddenly, he's like, hey, I should have been yelling at this thing like 50 <laughs> meters ago. What the. F- <laughs> fuck and 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 then we'll just lose his shit like extra hard yep <laughs> because yeah. it snuck up on and him it, yeah it's the that surprise plastic bag the surprise on the other side of the road snuck bucket snuck up on it yeah it looks like it could maybe be a cat if you squint um it's rustling like a cat <laughs> it's i hate it the same way i hate a cat it's probably mm. a cat that's really the issue yeah all right that'll probably do us for this week all right thank you thank very you, much everybody. for tuning in everybody uh, yeah, uh, yeah. next week, as I say, I'm going to be away, so we're going to put out that um, bonus episode from last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to our patrons, uh, apologies that you've already heard that one, uh, but you can take a week off from us. Or just listen to half of this episode while you're at the end, you're at the end now. But, uh, <laughs> 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 Too late. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back with fresh content the week after. Uh, but in the meantime, make sure that you keep on snacking in the free world. And uh, fuck the Minister for Social Services and the NDIS, Stuart Roberts, crunch, crunch. Stuart Robert, but yeah. Nah. Fuck him. Fuck, fuck his unpluralized last name. Crunch, crunch. <laughs>